0: you, Stanford, 9.1 FM, I'm Mark Molino, and this is the Henry George Program. This is a show all about housing, local politics, and much more. Today, the program, we have on Rich Mellinger talking about how Ray Wong of the Cupertino Planning Commission attempted to get him fired from his job, and um, we get in discussions about what this means for free speech, the function of democracy in local areas. As well as many tangents into things like the dichotomy of fascism, insofar as that's what Ray Wong was writing about in next door. So we can just get in things and hear all about it.
1: So welcome back, Richard. Great to be here, Mark.
0: Yeah. So okay. So to introduce yourself, why don't you just specify what orgs you're involved with? Get that <laughs> out of the way, etc.
1: Yeah. So my name's Richard Mellinger. I am. Uh, I I have to say this. I'm here tonight tonight only in my own personal capacity, but I am a member of the Sunnyvale Democratic Club executive board. I'm a member of the steering committee of Livable Sunnyvale, uh, and I am a member of Sunnyvale's Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory uh, Commission. Um, So I wear a lot of different hats and mostly what I'm involved with is advocating for more housing and equitable transportation in the city of Sunnyvale and the region.
0: And the region. And would, mm. would you say uh, you you can be spotted in the wild in the city councils of Cupertino and Palo Alto. And, and be- Mountain
1: View, for that matter.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of where this whole story started.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, mm mm-hmm. Uh so the Cupertino uh city famous for for being the home of Apple uh, mm-hmm. uh, famous for having a median home price of 2 million dollars plus now Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a a functioning uh quaint suburban uh town. Uh they have a planning commission. Uh I was actually at the planning commission. Uh, I think uh, at your uh you were you were bringing up the controversy for Kitty Moore earlier yes. this year.
1: And this is uh <laughs> So some background. Uh, last year in the election, Better Cupertino, which is the local anti-growth faction, and they've been around in one form or another for at least 15 years or so now, um, they swept the board with the election. And it's one of these plurality voting systems where it's the top three candidates get on and they got their third candidate on the council by a margin of about 100 votes. Yeah, um, and so now they have control of the city council it's- and their first, pretty much their first action in government was to repeal the city's code of ethics. That seems weird.
0: Yeah. I mean, that doesn't seem like a thing a normal place does. What was her? What was was her state of rationale for this?
1: So the code of ethics had been adopted in the fall of 2018 before the election. And the stated rationale was that the way this adopt was adopted had been improper. It hadn't been noticed correctly. There hadn't been enough time for community feedback, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that code of ethics said was that political appointments should not be used Uh, that uh, uh, commission appointments should not be used as political rewards. So what do they do as soon as they repeal the ethics code? They pack most of the boards and commissions with better Cupertino backers, including the planning commission, where they declined to reappoint the incumbent, Jeff Paulson, and instead put on three better Cupertino partisans, uh, that would be Commissioner Kitty Moore. Now, Vice Chair Vikram Saxena and Planning Commission Chair Ray Wong.
0: Yeah. So and I feel that's very it seems like idealistic to feel like, oh, we can make it not corrupt. I mean, you're not gonna have, like civil service exams to, to have commissions, no. but but at no. the very least, you can't boot incumbents for no stated reason. You can,
1: well, an incumbent serves at the pleasure of the council. To be clear. And they do not. There is no right to be reappointed as an incumbent. Uh, You have to compete against the other candidates in the field, just like everyone else. Um, But in general, especially for planning commission, planning commission involves a lot of specialized knowledge. You want to preserve that institutional knowledge as best you can. Yeah. Uh, Their planning commission in particular is hard. So the first thing that they do when they these new three new appointees to planning commission do uh, is they have to pick a new chair and they remain no one will second the nomination of the current sitting vice chair Alan Takahashi and they all vote for Ray Wang and it gives the immediate appearance of a Brown Act violation That they discussed and pre-planned ahead of time. That
0: well, so so if if that's a resolution to appoint a new chair, and that should have been stated in the Brown Act, you cannot.
1: No, if they discussed it prior to the meeting among hmm. themselves, that is a Brown Act violation. Sure. So it gave the immediate the way it was carried out gave the immediate appearance of a Brown Act violation.
0: Are you sure they're not just like it's like great teamwork it's like you just see someone and just in the moment just
1: <laughs> I'm sure they would say that. Yeah. Um so these 3 though these 3 are real they're, they're it's it's a real piece of work. Um Vikram Saxena like he he didn't know what a subdivision was. He had to ask the Uh, city staff what a subdivision was in a meeting.
0: City planning, insofar as it it should exist and is important, it should be done by skilled technicians. I have, in my experience with planning commissions, I don't tend to look at these people and feel they're experts. They seem like they're actually, a lot of times, fairly ignorant about a lot of stuff.
1: You don't need to be an expert to be on planning commission but you do need to have a certain understanding of land use distinctions and that's one of the reasons why i personally have not applied for planning commission yet because i don't feel that i'm quite there yet right yeah. i haven't felt that i'm quite there yet on some of the distinctions that are involved and they can get pretty fine yeah and like that is that is one of the reasons why i said okay i'm going to stick to what i know and apply for the bicycle commission right yeah and even that that's got a lot of technical Details as well, but you
0: have a lot of lived experience, which at least informs stuff,
1: right? And the scars to show for it. You have Saxena saying that, and frankly, that's the least offensive thing. You have Kitty Moore, who is appointed to their planning commission, and Moore is on the record saying that if you build apartments at Valco, that it will lead to legalized prostitution. That Apple employees will be grooming uh, female high school students at Cupertino High School. And it, it's it's straight up. They're coming for our daughters.
0: It's I mean, also, and, I'm, I'm about to read a few things Ray Wong was saying. And there is a lot of, I, I think, essentially right wing kind of fear of cities in Blight. Yes. Uh, so Ray Wong, by the way, uh,
1: I that's the latest. <laughs> uh...
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's I think we'll focus on for the next next bit here. Just I'll say this uh, in my personal opinion. Probably the worst Twitter account I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, so, Ray Ray, uh, R. Ray Wong, hashtag digital duopolies is, is his name. Uh, Constellation R CEO, co-host, disrupt TV show, PCI mm-hmm. initiative, best-selling Harvard biz author, keynoter, futurist, provocateur, EDM DJ, hashtag footy, hashtag mm-hmm. SV life, hash, hashtag Taiwanese. I feel Asian. my
1: brain cells dying.
0: He is the only guy, I mean, I've seen this, he tweets about 400 times a day. Uh, And he's the only person I see who uses disrupt unironically all the time. You'll see it all, you know, it's uh, so most of his stuff is just weird garbage about crypto and, you know, just disrupt as far as the next wave of of uh, how the the. VC plus 5G equals, you know, disrupt plus singularity, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah.
1: I thought they hated 5G down there. But anyway.
0: I, yeah, it's, 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 you love it in the abstract. You hate it in your backyard. You know how it is. Mm. Uh, a few things he has said here. This uh, is, everything he says, he, every tweet that is him is my POV. Yes. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. This is the understatement of the year. Property crime rose in hashtag SF life in 2017. hello. Parts of SF are worse than NYC in the 1980s. Six factors. Mental health, drug crisis, sanctuary cities, high cost of housing, high taxes, overly liberal policies.
1: Okay. (laughs) Well.
0: Uh, My POV. Citizens should rise and oppose Scott Wiener Law to force suburban areas to become urban jungles like San Francisco. Crime-filled, mind-nubbing, traffic-stopping, drugged-out, high-density housing, and unaffordable. Block SB 828, protect
1: local control. Uh so a lot oh of just god this is reefer <laughs> madness territory here.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a little weird of uh just fear of cities, fear of drug users, fear of just density.
1: I mean, tinging all of this, there's this sort of thinly veiled uh Xenophobia. It's not exactly racial panic, but it's like this fear of the out, this outside horde that is going to come in and destroy our communities. You've got it with Kitty Moore talking about you know uh, these insatiable Apple engineers. You've got it with uh, Stephen sharp saying we're going to build the wall and San Jose will pay for it. This is you've the got you got it. You got it with these quotes from. Uh, Gray Wong. Yeah, I mean, it's the one tiny
0: thread is that other people are scary and bad. We must stop other people from existing near us. Here's one more on the sanctuary. Thi- well, don't assume that then. Smiley face. Sanctuary cities enable crime. High density of SF, not that of L.A. or London or other countries, but still top 50 in the world. Add to crime. That's a fact not made up and racist. Who commits crime in Hong, uh, Hong Kong or Mexico? People. <laughs>
1: Just like an okay, in,
0: I mean, it's almost anti-natalist. He just feels the problem is people. We just need nice. You get sub- that though.
1: <laughs> you get that from some of the from some of the nimbys around here. Yes, it would be okay. We, we just need to stop having kids.
0: Malthusianism is running wild around here, and it's really just all we need is what we know works is low density suburbs. What is the threat? People. We okay. need to stop people.
1: Right. As if, if you don't have a backyard, you're just going to suffocate. Like, you get this idea that somehow without a backyard, you're literally not going to be able to breathe. And in fact, what we know is that what stops people from being able to breathe is, you know, car emissions. But
0: yeah, I mean, and that is I think that is in my mind what is without a doubt the role of our city planning commissions is to accommodate growth, not to say mm-hmm. growth, not to deny it, not to stick your head in the sand, but say when growth happens, what should we do? And that's when I spoke to Ray Wong uh, at this planning commission, I was uh, reading a few of the conclusions from, I think it's an interesting book, uh, Alain Berteau, uh, Order Without Design. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Bridging urban planning and urban economics, saying that we should couple planning with looking at land values. We should. I have this. What is the role of a city? It's to uh, allow for transportation to run effectively. Mm-hmm. It's not to treat people's disamenities and right. to try to resist them. Um, and I just feel that Cupertino, in no uncertain way, is saying people are the disamenity. The role is to oh, get absolutely. And he came up to me afterwards where we we're talking, and he came to Chairman Baltimore. Wong. Cheer Wong so
1: Cheer- That's the style guide
0: uh, Cheer Wong uh, came up to me and uh said like well it's very nice to think about this but it's outdated you know we we have disrupted our cities autonomous vehicles are going to disrupt everything the hyperloop is going to disrupt everything and this idea of density is antiquated and this is this is also the other line which is futurism plus suburbs mean we can live like the 1950s forever just with shinier tech that kind of Papers over it.
1: You get some of this from this idea that high-speed rail will solve the housing crisis because then all the workers can live in Fresno and Bakersfield and spend two hours a day each way on the train coming into their jobs. The only and problem it's like, is, I, I love high-speed rail, but that's not the reason why we should be building high-speed rail.
0: And the only problem is also they won't agree on where a station should be. It's like, we want a high-speed rail that just invisibly deposits them in offices.
1: Right. <laughs> like we don't want any kind of dense hub either. Yeah. Yeah. So- Oh, to give a, just to give a little background, like what's you know, yes, I'm a Sunnyvale resident, but whatever Cupertino does affects the city of Sunnyvale, and Sunnyvale has historically built quite a bit of housing, and it hasn't mattered because our neighbors have not done their fair share, and so when Cupertino has a planning commission that is just so radically anti-growth, when the Cupertino City Council appoints people like this to their planning commission, that actually is a direct that directly harms Sunnyvale residents, and so that is why I have been engaging pretty consistently in Cupertino politics over the past year or so. Yeah, I mean and I've, I've uh, annoyed some people clearly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel was it wrong to say there's basically three choices, and they're not exclusive. You can say local control works; let every city do its own thing, and they will figure it out. And local control, independent, you know, cities. Just trust trust the process. Mm-hmm. Second one is work regionally. People should work with their neighboring cities and get them to not hurt them, <laughs> you know, because there is effects. There's certain effects of if a place has a lot of... Uh, office jobs and is not housing them it tends to affect your housing stock Mm -hmm. scarcity in your place traffic etc etc and that's why cupertino some would say was is a bad citizen three is don't work directly locally but look at the supervising system at the state level which ultimately controls zoning and power but has Mm -hmm. delegated to cities and say maybe it should pull some of this power back and i think a lot of people are doing you know working at the state level and working locally. Uh, Ray Wong is, is very much on the record saying local control is synchrosanct. Uh, he endorses the Redondo Beach uh, initiative.
1: You'll uh, have to familiarize me with the Redondo Beach initiative.
0: My POV, the constitutional initiative coming to protect local control by mm. Bill Brand, Redondo Beach, hashtag Visit Redondo, will also thwart these bills that don't address housing affordability and enrichen the developer lobbyist while creating sprawl. Hashtag SP50. Wait, uh, <laughs> so, God. Which I mean, he could, You could say that. Yes. Does does the modern slate of 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 exclusionary zoning uh, bills do enough to create affordable housing? Does it do enough to stop the privatized system of developer profits? I mean, it's a very weird purist test. And then also creating sprawl. It's very very odd to me to say that. This is going to create sprawl, as opposed to the status quo, which is when you don't put any housing in places.
1: Yeah, we're building out in the exurbs. You know, you want to talk about L.A. L.A. has displaced so much of its housing demand into places like Riverside and San Bernardino, and you know the Inland Empire, and that's like that is that is a serious problem. That is driving uh, the smog. That's driving the horrific commutes down there that it's driving climate change yeah we Um, we have we have that is what's driving sprawl
0: yes i mean it's it is the path of least resistance is just go out and out uh here's another ray wong quote my pov then open up the open space reduce density smiley face so he's just like he he explicitly endorses sprawl yeah
1: if you want if you want open space yeah you build tall skinny buildings
0: Hong that, Kong has a ton of open space,
1: I've heard Singapore does as well, yeah you you want open space, you build tall, skinny buildings because you get the same amount of use and a narrow footprint
0: yeah, and I, I think Hong Kong is kind of a a weird place in how tall and skinny they are and how much open space, but there there's a sliding window around here. you have a few pocket parks and mostly uh privatized green space, which are people's front and back yards you don't we don't We don't do a lot to preserve green
1: space depends on the city. Yeah. Um You know, it's and the county does quite a bit. Uh, it's, but you're right that sprawl eats green space. Yeah. Right, it eats public green space.
0: I mean, I think at the, the larger level, you can, in your car, especially, go out, see some lovely parks. Uh, go out to the bay; seems a great preserve. Bay or lanes. on your bike. On your bike, I am scared of being on these streets. I, I, I'm not a strong bike rider, uh, it, and, I, and I, I will. Unless I'm absolutely safe, I'm just going to walk everywhere.
1: It's, um, it's about knowing which streets are better. And, like, you know, I can point you to, you know, oh, if you wanted to bike up to Baylands and Sunnyvale, this is the route you'd take. Mm. You know, there are some streets that you just do not bicycle on if you value your life. But, you know, the thing with bicycling is that you can stick to the side streets. Yeah. Right. You do not have to be on the big main boulevards. And, yes, we need to be doing a lot to improve bike safety on those big main boulevards and everywhere. But it is – and there are serious issues with bike safety. But I, I do really want to encourage people to get out and ride, you know? Yeah. No, I think if, if you – if you, We live in a great place for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it could be better. Uh, but it's – yeah. Um... We,
1: have, we have a lot of flat terrain and beautiful weather. Like, <laughs> it's, it's great for cycling. But okay,
0: so we have talked, we have talked we've talked about it, kind of in the background here. But okay, so let's talk about the actual how this started. The, right, I guess the recent story here. The yeah. recent story is a next door post by Ray Wong, uh, which he uh, sent out.
1: Well, when did this all start? Sunday.
0: <laughs> what, like
1: this past Sunday? Okay, it started. Sorry, the twenty fourth. I think twenty third, twenty fourth, something like that. Okay, so. Should I should I read his entire thing
0: though? Oh yes, please. It's pretty good. Uh, so this is a next door post. So by the way, how many how many next door like do you monitor? A lot of next door activity or what's what's your deal?
1: So here's the thing: I'm not actually close enough to Cupertino to be in range of the Cupertino next door. Thank God. Uh, and the way Nextdoor works is it's geofenced, right? You get to see your neighborhood and adjacent neighborhoods. Mm. Um, so I am I am outside of the containment zone, okay. Uh, but I have some friends who are on the Cupertino Nextdoor, and uh, my legion of Raven spies has been keeping me posted.
0: So you're not you're not nutty enough to have a like series of VPNs. To... Oh God,
1: no. Are <laughs> okay. you, that sounds like effort. Well, I mean, it's
0: it's you have to. You have to really love the pain to be part of the housing discourse these days. Uh, Come defend Cupertino as Sandhill Properties and Peter Powell's lackey. Matt Larson bashes Cupertino to Yimbis and neoliberals. Fight back. I suggest a bunch of Cupertino residents attend and share how Sandhill Properties, Peter Powell, and blood money from China, the Middle East, and Abu Dhabi Investment Authority have... One created an office to housing imbalance with Alco. Two intimidated residents and attempted to limit their right to referendum and free speech. Three lied to housing advocates about their commitment and quality to very low income and extremely low income units. Uh, four drove up the cost of housing overall in the Bay Area with their purchases. Five took money from questionable funding sources in China and the Middle East. Go to the free meeting and defend Cupertino and our way of life. Save the suburbs from an onslaught of anarchists and yimby neoliberal fascists. Share with them how Sandhill Properties has not been a good partner in the cities. Uh, so that's that's the money line.
1: Is uh, you know save our way of life, very very blood yeah. and soil stuff. Uh, oh yeah, no, like this gets into this sort of xenophobic panic yeah. that you have. In Cupertino, it plays directly into this sort of Trumpian, febrile atmosphere that there is down there, this fear of invaders and outsiders coming in and taking our way of life. It's—this hey. you know, is—he calls—so— I, he calls the 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 Yimby neoliberal. I'm not a member of Yimby neoliberal. I personally, I I've, which as far as it stands, like mostly
0: the SF a Yimby. Institution. Yeah, it's a
1: and uh, the the guy who runs their Twitter account, Stephen Bus, great guy. Um, it's, it's but worth, I, it's I, I don't consider myself a neoliberal. It's a little bit of a well. There's
0: neoliberal and there's quotes neoliberal. The people right. who are self-described neoliberals are not really Thatcherites. They are more. Like online like Matt they're online meme people who are like, let's let's take this word back from the Thatcherites. And I mean, I think the and it's a windmill they're
1: tilting at, but you yeah. know, it's, it, they, everyone is entitled to their windmill. I mean, I
0: I definitely have my disagreements with the with the Murby branch of 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 Yimbys, the ones that tend to be hostile to tenant interests. Right, I, I think they're dead wrong when you feel it's. It's about opposing tenant interests, but uh, that's
1: not Yimby neoliberal.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's it contains some of those people, but it's a big tent. Uh, So there are there are I think there is some good uh, energy from them
1: certainly, Mm -hmm. and and there's some good energy from the Yimby socialists. I don't really see myself in either of those camps though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it is a big, complicated system because if you go this. I mean, even Ray Wong, if you say that, do you want to see a bunch, you know, to see Sandhill developers make more and more money? I personally have less than zero interest in seeing, you know, what is mostly developers are in the business, not of building as much as butting heads with city councils. I mean, Sandhill, I can't imagine how much money they're wasting instead of building stuff like just. Showing up and trying to get something approved. This seems like a massive misallocation of.
1: Every... Well, I can't really speak to Sandhill's business <clears throat> model, but you know, it's you know, and like, and you want to talk about developers? You know, anyone who lives in Sunnyvale has their issues with Sandhill because of what happened with our downtown yeah. and the way it was tied up in lawsuits for nearly ten years because yeah. because of, of Sandhill. But you know what? With Valco, it looks like a great project. 2,400 units of housing, That's that actually makes a difference, especially with 1,200 affordable.
0: And I think this is the main thing of we are facing, at least in the short to medium term, a series of alternatives. And the alternatives are unfortunately constrained. If you say that we don't want Sandhill to make money doing this, what is your alternative? Is the alternative to see if you are like left-winging to see it be massive social housing? Because I'll say this, is Cupertino is 100% not going to get in the municipal <laughs> housing <laughs> business. That no. is something they are
1: <laughs> – and, ju- and to be clear, with this, the way the state tax structure and the Constitution is set up, they basically can't.
0: Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, even if
1: they wanted to, they can't.
0: And If they want to, they can't. And even when we do it the way we do it now, which is we have affordable housing bonds that go into affordable housing nonprofit developers mm-hmm. build, you look at the map. They get built in San Jose – and south towards Gilroy, very few in Santa Clara County end up in Palo Alto, Mountain View, uh, all through Cupertino. That
1: has to do as much with how expensive the land is and as it does with any council policy, though. That's but, a- like, coming back to this, so, like, <laughs> Wong's whole discourse here. Yeah. Like that they're these anarchist neoliberal fascist. I mean, let's let's just separate out how absurd the idea that you can mix anarchist liberals and fascists into a single pot. What's
0: well, so? What right. are you? Because, I mean, I'll raise my hand. I'm an anarchist. Uh, <laughs> so you must you, I am you must be a neoliberal fascist. Then. No, I,
1: I I consider myself to be a progressive liberal. Yeah. That that though, that discourse is just like that. That sort of like we're defending our our sacred blood and soil, like you put it, against these horrible outsiders, that's actually fascist discourse. This is like fascist rhetoric 101, what, what Wong is doing here. Should everyone put
0: a... Because there's a recent episode where I had Max Kapczynski on, and we talked about whether it's fair to call people fascists, because I've gotten blocked by Save Marinwood by calling a fascist online, uh, the Marin County NIMBY. Uh, how do you define fascism?
1: Oh, God. <laughs> So, uh, okay, that's talk. Uh, that's a show in itself. So I did a master's in European history in a past life, and you have to understand that one of the almost parlor games for European historians is how do you define fascism? Sure. And so communism is dead simple. State ownership of the means of production. Marxism-Leninism. Uh, there's a vanguard revolutionary party that will implement the dictatorship of the proletariat and get us to the stateless future. Uh Stalinism is we will kill anyone who disagrees with us in getting there, right? There is these sort of well-defined characteristics that you can taxonomize communism, socialism, liberalism because they're these sort of coherent, enlightenment-derived ideologies,
0: I would say that the big tent, I mean, you say, like, people say true communism is the dissolution of the state. But... Yeah,
1: but details. The point <laughs> is that there is, like, there are, like, some relatively short, succinct definitions that you can use to define and char- characterize these movements that the adherence to the movements would mostly agree with. Right. Okay. Conservatism is this sort of inchoate force. Conservatism is about ranging from a skepticism towards change to an outright desire to roll back the clock, right? And so that is inherently dependent on whatever the current circumstances, place, and time are. It's not a coherent ideology. Fascism. Fascism is a very weird creature because fascism is a deeply— it is a capital R romantic approach to the world. Yeah, It views the world as this great struggle— but the problem is it's not an ideology at all. It does not embrace sort of philosophical rules of right and wrong, of logic. It is, in fact, inherently irrational. It is. It has been uh, – Mussolini said it was anti-liberal, anti-conservative, and anti-socialist. Well, what the hell is it then?
0: I mean, I feel like if um, all things are like the, the must-have – illiberalism, the idea of the romantic spirit, you know, t- sure. running running wild. It seems like is there any fascism that that does not have that feature?
1: Uh, the issue is there are plenty of not fascisms that also have that feature, and this is the problem. When you start trying to categorize it, it's like trying to pin down jello. Yeah, it's very. First off, every national fascist movement is different because, like conservatism, it's uh, shaped by national character. It's explicitly aimed at preserving or restoring a uh, national character. And so trying to pin down what's called the fascist minimum, you end up just going in circles. Um, the one I like, I believe it's Griffin. Uh, it's either Paxton or Griffin. I'm escaping. It's palingenetic ultranationalism. Some $10 words in there. But the idea is, so there's not all ultranationalists are fascists. Yeah. What distinguishes fascism from other forms of rabid nationalism is the idea of the paleogenetic myth. What does paleogenetic means? It means rebirth. The fascist is calling for a rebirth of the nation. The nation has fallen. It has been degraded by some sample groups here: foreigners, liberals, socialists, homosexuals, Jews. Uh, the Classic example of this is the stab in the back myth in Weimar, Germany, right? We didn't lose the war. The liberals and the Jews betrayed us. There's right? a cer-
0: certain sense of, yeah, kind of, so, kind of purity. And, right. Yeah.
1: We will purge the nation of its impurities and restore a, a golden age that is a fusion of both modernity and tradition. It is not just turning back the clock. It is a specifically a fusion of modern technology with this idealized national character.
0: Is this in your mind? Is this just nationalism cranked up or is it a different kind? Because in my mind, I feel like nationalism at at its core is about we are a type of people which is different than that type of people. No, it
1: is not just nationalism cranked up. Remember that nationalism starts as a liberal movement. Okay, I think pragmatically, I would say nationalism in the 1840s is a liberal movement.
0: There was certainly an allied ideology at the time. I would say the truly radical liberal thinkers have even moved past that and have said that it's very hard to separate the international
1: egalitarianism. Long long since. But you see shades of this old liberal nationalism, for instance, in Elizabeth Warren's platform. Right. Yeah. Bringing job, bringing good paying jobs back. Right, that it's, sort of thing. It's certainly practical it's politics. Not, you wouldn't call it nationalism these days, but it there are shades of that. So no, fascism is not just cranked up nationalism. It is a very specific kind of nationalism.
0: Yeah, right. It's, it's I think when it coincides with zero sum thinking about mm-hmm. we must have more so they have less. If right, you look at exactly. Liebenstrom, if you look at all this idea of we need breathing space. Mm-hmm and i mean i think you look at the kind of suburban idea of we must resist people in our areas in order that we must have the low density breathing space wow. in our backyards it's a little bit it's a little bit
1: unsavory it is, well and so all <laughs> that aside i you know you've got so we could do an entire show on the on fascism and fascist characteristics but like with this idea so you've mentioned the oddity of Wong and this sort of futurism fused to this idyllic suburban past yeah i'm not going to say he's a fascist but that's actually the sort of imagery and aesthetic that actually bleeds in is is very common in fascist rhetoric
0: about moving forward but doing it through a kind of nostalgic lens. Right. Of... It is
1: this fusion of modernity with the idyllic past and combined with this deep hostility to outsiders.
0: So I, I, I will say I just want to like have one one critique is uh someone who says you mean neoliberal are the real fascists because fascism is the consolidation of state and corporate power. This is one political thinker
1: uh, online on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Twitter.com political. This, so the old school Marxist approach to fascism. So right. Uh, is that fascism is a movement of the capitalist classes to suppress and co-opt the working class. Sure, And it comes out of a crisis of capitalism. Yeah. And my personal attitude towards all these different attempts to define and pin down fascism is it's like Plato's cave. Everyone's getting it, getting the shadow from a different angle, and there's a grain of truth in all of it. Yeah. Um, Saying Yimby neoliberal are the real fascists is uh, kind of ridiculous when they're talking about free movement of peoples and... Uh, you know internationalism and taking down borders like that's a little calling that fascist is a bit of a stretch to me
0: well I mean I, I think my the, what I've said in the past is like I think fascism is vigorous state action to protect the powerful is at least one component of it I yeah, think there's bit,
1: lots of different forms that's authoritarianism yeah, in general I I can agree and I think maybe is it wrong to say
0: maybe it's not use super useful to use word fascist and maybe we should take a step back everybody
1: from it (laughs) yes it's wrong to say yeah uh in the uh, the local level i think it's perhaps not particularly useful when you look at what's happening at the national level when you look at what ice is doing to children uh you look at the concentration camps that are being run on our southern border yes fascism applies there is but there... there the word fascism absolutely applies to what trump is doing
0: there, but there is this whole no true Scotsman thing which really sets people off. Like, for me, saying that I believe that Tim Redman is essentially a right-wing thinker in the way that he wants to protect his living space and keep people out of, of SF, even if it means, uh, you know, internal passports. And people say, how dare you say he's right-wing? Trump is right-wing. And then you have... Uh, people saying Trump is running concentration camps people say how dare you say they're concentration camps the Nazis ran concentration and like you can always say you know you can just be outraged you're using your oh, wording yeah, correctly yeah. well <laughs> and I mean I think that from both of us saying people tone policing upon the concentration camps at the southern border is morally outrageous mm-hmm. and but other people say you know and I would say the tone policing of of Me talking about the housing discourse, I'd say everyone from their own perspective says like I'm doing the good tone policing, and you're Uh, so
1: for me, it's not tone policing. It is me, as like my background in history saying, you know, it's really hard to actually. It's it's such a hard term to pin down. It's just difficult to use correctly, and it's difficult to apply.
0: I would say it's certainly scarier that Trump actually runs the U.S. military, whereas Cupertino City Council doesn't have its paramilitary force. Yeah,
1: not even their even their police is contracted out to the county. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's
0: reassuring to an extent.
1: So yeah, like it's it's a little. Are is some of what we're seeing out of there disturbing, illiberal, authoritarian? Yes. On the other hand, they're, you know it's what they can do is sort of inherently small potatoes. So anyway. The, this was a great tension. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was a great tension. So to go back to the nuts and bolts, he also says in this that uh, this development of Alco will create little tax revenue, which is kind of an implication that he's, he's looking at the fiscalization of zoning. If it's all retail, they'll make more money than putting in uh, that. I mean, and he says the minimal sized housing units. There's going to be this is not suited for for people. And just to say back here, he he said the main problem is that it would uh, it would still have more office units than housing units. But the original plan was all office, no housing. So it's just very weird to say that the most that people could put in housing is not good enough as a reason to go back to scratch. Well,
1: and the Cupertino City Council actually just repealed a plan that would have had more housing and less office and some major community benefits for the city as well. Yeah. So for them, to, he's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth.
0: It, it's, it, it's clearly bad faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but in any case, it's it certainly set people off just how weird it is. And this was shared online. Uh, (laughs) And that that set off more things. Just tell, tell more of the story.
1: So, okay. So I saw this from the MB neoliberal account, which I followed. And so I'm like, oh God, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's Sunday afternoon. I'm having a lazy day. And I just like take 30 seconds and write a throwaway tweet about it.
0: So you, so you were not the originator of the next door quote, someone else.
1: Yimby neoliberal tweeted out all this stuff. Okay. All these quotes. And I'm just like, because like I said, I'm not on Cupertino next door. Thank God. I don't see what happens there. So your passenger um,
0: pigeons also went to Yimby neoliberal and got them to tweet it.
1: Presumably. Sure. Okay. Um, so I tweet out this, this unhinged rant from city of Cupertino planning commissioner at our Wang zero, uh, Given these comments, I think it's clear he cannot deal with the Valco project impartially and needs to accuse himself from anything to do with it. Because this has to, you know, his comments about blood money, his comments about uh, all, you know, that his opponents are fascists, that uh, just all these you know, drove up the cost of housing, lied to housing at, everything he's saying about Sand Hill so as a planning commission you have quasi judicial authority. If you are if you are have prejudged a matter mm. and you've, and he's clearly demonstrated he's prejudged it. Yeah. You have to recuse yourself. So I tweet so, this out. So
0: I feel there's two things to recuse yourself a uh, clear conflict of interest which is fairly narrow mm-hmm. in the way it's and taken now and then prejudging.
1: And the rules are different whether it's quasi quasi judicial ruling or not. Okay. Right uh and the, it's stricter if it's a quasi judicial ruling. So what I'm saying is if anything about Valco comes back to the planning commission, he cannot vote on it. Okay. Um so I tweet this out and I go on with my day and I forget about it. Yeah. And I get a message a few hours later saying look at this, did this guy just threaten Richard's job? <laughs>
0: What 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 was the threat? What was the what was the context? What was the medium?
1: Uh, so another next door post, of course, and so what he writes is you know after he after I made this tweet and it's just like a throwaway comment. I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah, I see the someone sends me a screenshot. I
0: have it right in front of me right yeah, now. The,
1: if you've got it right in front of you, why don't you do the honors?
0: Yeah, at, at Doug. Well, that's fun. We'll have to speak to Richard's employer redacted smiley face. Uh so
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think he just wants to talk to your employer. He just, just to... wants to talk to my he just wants to see my manager. <laughs> uh a lot of people like to speak to your managers cuz you know it's fun to chat. Clearly. Say, say good
0: job. I'm glad you have such a civically engaged employee.
1: And then further down, he says something along the lines of, uh, uh, yes, here we go, here we go. Uh, The sad truth is that a lot of these YIMBYs work for the tech companies and have created the housing crisis and are biting the hands that feed them. Next time you get harassed by a YIMBY, track down their employer and send their HR, legal, and CEO a letter outlining their YIMBY stance and all their tweets, their digital and social comms to show their lack of civility. It goes a long way to getting them reprimanded and, in some cases, a dose of reality.
0: What, that is? What is his idea of what the tech companies – because his idea is like we should have – he seems to love Silicon Valley. He mm-hmm. seems to love the abstract idea. This is where tech happens and disruption happens. But he also feels we should disrupt everything except the suburbs around here. This is the one thing that should remain intact we should have employees live here somehow and work here somehow, but be housed through unclear (laughs) unclear.
1: I don't claim to understand (coughs) chair Wong's thought processes, honestly, but you know, seeing this. Yeah. It's very clear that Wong's intention was to threaten my employment for criticizing him, and he any and what he what's interesting is the way he says that this criticism is harassment. So here is a public official responding to my criticism of him as a public official.
0: I mean, are you allowed to call it an unhinged rant? I think you That's are. The
1: First Amendment, you know. I, mean, I believe maybe, maybe just I shouldn't an have said an unhinged rant, but it was. I, I'm sorry, it was an extremely well-hinged rant. It was perfectly oiled. <laughs> it barely even squeaked. Yeah. No. Like this this is you know, the it was pretty clear that what he was saying was out there. Yeah. Um so but for a public official to turn around and say, you know, and to threaten my job for it, right? To threaten to go to my employer, to threaten to go to my manager.
0: And and the implication that you're biting the hand that feeds you is that people who work for a tech company if they if they demand housing be built, the tech company will somehow hate that. I well, mean...
1: I think the <laughs> implication is that we should take what our betters give us and like it. Yeah. But you <laughs> know, and and uh, any and asking for anything more, yeah, is biting the hand that feeds. But like when he does this, you know what he this is like this is textbook chilling effect of free expression. For a public official to threaten someone's job for criticizing him in his own – in his capacity as a public official is designed to suppress criticism and dissent.
0: And not just That the, is
1: the purpose.
0: And not just a one-off case. He actually expressed a framework to say any time a YIMBY quote-unquote harasses you, you should send their HR legal and CO a letter expressing the fact they're a YIMBY, which is one, weird, but it's also a very – It's it's a clear program. He's 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 saying
1: yes. And I know people who in the pro housing movement who this has happened to, and who have been reprimanded by their employers, and who have been told to tone their public comment down. Yeah. Now, I'm lucky. I have a very good employer. They you know they don't seem to be concerned by it in the slightest. Obviously, I can't speak for them, but let's just say that I'm not particularly concerned for my own well being here. Yeah. Um. However, there are a lot of people in this valley who are one paycheck away from homelessness. Yeah. What what impact do you think that sort of comment that Mr. Wong is saying, will have on their likelihood to express themselves and to be involved in public discourse.
0: And also I'll say right here, like, I believe offhand, I think it is extremely troubling that due to the scarcity of housing around here, we're having an increasingly monoculture. You need to be a well-paid tech worker to live here, which I think is why a disproportionate amount of the activism is happening by relatively comfortable tech workers who I think if most people were canned, they would not be, you know, as uh, uh, open to being completely destroyed as much as the people who really are uh, living close to the margin, and I yeah. think I think those people need to realize, boy, if this one housing commissioner can like talk to their employer if they speak up, that's extremely chilling.
1: That's extreme, and so the flip side of that is, look, I'm extremely blessed i'm extremely privileged i'm very very lucky to have the sort of security and stability that i do a lot of people do not have that but you know what what that means is that comes with some obligations that if someone is for instance threatening freedom of expression i've got the wherewithal to stand up to that i have to yeah it's a responsibility
0: yeah, especially if they are serving the public capacity in one of our cities, which
1: right. it seems like an right. extra
0: magnitude of extremely bad if behavior. This,
1: if, if Wong were not a public official, I, could, I would still be running with this and saying, you know, this is outrageous, but it's not a violation of my First Amendment rights. As a rule of thumb, only the government can violate your First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah. And he wasn't doxing you in a public place. He's only doxing you in a semi-public place, which is next, next door. door.
1: with You know, which has thousands and thousands of people who can actually see it. Yeah. The, the argument that next door is not a public forum is, in my opinion, ridiculous. Which is why
0: he got angry at you saying that this was private communications that was aired in public, which I, it's, it's it's a it's a weird gray area.
1: And it's it's not a gray area at all. Next door yeah. can say it's semi-private. Wong can say it's semi-private, but if you're a public official writing in a forum that has a viewership of potentially thousands, it is not private. It's a public forum.
0: Yeah, and if it is a public official, there's even public
1: records act requires yeah. him to keep records of all uh, anything that uh, any communications, electronic communications, pertaining to. Uh, his position. sure, And this pertains to his position. So it's very clearly public. Yeah. So is government
0: working very well right now? (laughs) I don't know. It's like, it seems like a lot of people just do what they can get away with.
1: Well, I can't speak to that. What I can say is that Chair Wong obviously didn't think there would be consequences for doing this. And You know, the story, you know, the story has since been picked up by the Mercury News. Um, They ran a piece on it, I believe, Tuesday evening. Uh, They ran an editorial yesterday saying that he needs to apologize or resign or be removed. Um, And, you know, the story has legs, as they say. Sure. And that's good. Yeah. That's good because... It is a very dangerous—it would risk setting a very dangerous precedent for us to say, oh, you know, public officials, it's okay for a public official to threaten someone's job for criticizing them. Yeah. Um, So I sent a letter to Cupertino City Manager about this, uh, and her initial response was essentially, well— We don't we don't monitor what they post on Nextdoor. What he posts on Nextdoor is in a private capacity. If you think this is a violation of the rules of the terms and conditions of Nextdoor, you should talk to them, Mm. Um, which is, you know, it's basically her job to say that it is her job to defend the city. Right. Yeah. And I don't have any particular uh, ill will. for that, do, do you but, believe
0: he he actually broke the rules of Nextdoor with this?
1: I don't know, and I don't particularly care. Yeah, <laughs> um, the the rules of Nextdoor are not particularly high on my priority list. Um, so, you know, what she says is, you know, we take very seriously our duties to comply with all federal, state, local laws, including transparency and in ethics. Any next door, dot, 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 any next door posts by Commissioner Wong are solely his personal statements. He does not and cannot speak on behalf of the planning commission or the city in his posts. Sure. And so here's the thing. I get why she's saying that because he she wants and pretty much the entire city of Cupertino just wants for this to go away. Yeah. They t- He did something very, very stupid, and they don't want it to attach to them, and I understand that. Yeah. But, but, my criticism of him, unhinged rant aside, hinged on his role as a public official. I was saying he had to recuse himself as a planning commissioner from anything to do with Valco. Yeah. That's criticizing him as a public official. Yeah. He cannot respond to that in a private capacity any response to that is inherently in his capacity as a public official that seems about right yeah and if he so his decision to threaten me Mm. in response to that criticism that is inherently inherently coming from him as a public official that is coming from him as an agent of the city, even if he doesn't have permission for it, even if the city would say, oh, God, don't do that. Yeah. It's still coming from him as an, a public official.
0: Well, is, is that, does that go all the way? There is no such thing. I mean, if he was at a backyard barbecue with a friend, is he able to say to his friend in a private capacity, oh, there's something about my, you know, uh, how I'm executing my role as a public official and I'm, I'm upset about it. And here's my thoughts. Or is that private communication barred?
1: Um, I think it's. I think that sort of private communication is okay. Yeah. He, could, he could call me an idiot. He could do. He could do all these different things. Um. But when he goes and threatens my job.
0: So if he asks his friend at the backyard barbecue, "Hey, you should go threaten this guy's job." That
1: I think would actually, if it got out that that happened, and you know, the yeah. issue with that is always going to be deniability. Sure. Right? It's... But like, if that actually came out, then yes, I would say that, that that's a that's sort of a finer line. Yeah. But. So even I, if, I, I would say that, yes, that would that amounts to it violates the spirit, if not the letter of the First Amendment.
0: So it's interesting that even if it was completely private, it's still extremely problematic. But the fact it was in a public arena right. makes, it, makes it more well, of more right. magnitude so.
1: Well, and the fact that it's a public arena also sort of removes all doubt. Right? Sure. <laughs> like there's, yeah, you know, it's written down for everyone to see.
0: Yeah. And he didn't say someone hacked my account or something.
1: Yeah. No. And he's since doubled down on these comments repeatedly. Yeah. While at the same time, also kind of weirdly trying to walk them back.
0: Um, So it's not two active questions. One is the outstanding question of should he recuse himself? And the second question of now does he need to apologize and or step down from the commission?
1: uh, So I went to planning commission Tuesday night. It's very convenient. They had a planning commission meeting Tuesday night. Yeah. And as a citizen speaking at a planning commission, you get three minutes at oral communications. Nice. And I got my three minutes. And so did Stephen Buss of Yimby Neoliberal. And we both said, you need to resign. Yeah. And because in my opinion, what he did rises to the level of violation of his oath of office. As public officials... And I'm a public official, too. I'm speaking my own capacity here. But as a public official, I am sworn to preserve, protect, defend the United States and California constitutions against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yeah. Even as a BPAC commissioner, even as a bicycle pedestrian advisory commissioner. Yeah. That includes the First Amendment. That includes the California constitution's uh, guarantees of freedom of speech as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Chair Wong has violated those. Chair Wong has violated the Constitution. He has violated my First Amendment rights and what and while or he has attempted to violate my First Amendment rights. Yeah. But more to the point, what he's attempting to do is he is attempting to create a chilling effect in which dissenters in general, not just in Cupertino, but anyone who would challenge the city of Cupertino feel afraid yeah. or inhibited to express their criticism or dissent for fear of losing their job. Maybe. That, it is a violation of the First Amendment. It's a violation, uh, in my opinion, of the Tom Bain Civil Rights Act, uh, California Civil Rights Act. Yeah. It's a violation, potentially, of federal code, of ethics guidelines. It's it's and pretty I, outrageous.
0: And I'll say this, I mean, to kind of go off on a tangent, the fact that he tried to threaten you through your employer is a bit goofier and long, like it's, it was less likely to succeed as much as, because labor law is stronger than tenancy law. If someone says, let's find their landlord and get them evicted, I mean, that's, that's incredibly threatening, which is why uh, many people are trying to push for uh, bills that actually would stop tenants from being evicted for political reasons and, that's, and currently that's really
1: important too. it's
0: absolutely important and I think if you look at the kind of fundamentals of what we need for a safe democracy in which both homeowners and renters can speak their mind we need to make sure tenant political speech is protected which absolutely which in this died in the senate this year
1: that I, I will also say though that those labor protections while they are strong on paper in practice uh, like I said, I know people who have been who have been talked to by their managers for their uh, public expression. And, yeah. you know, in practice, those labor laws, you know, yeah, they they protect you, but they kind of protect you after the fact. Yeah. And can you really af- afford to go without a paycheck until the, the labor uh, bu- the labor boards come back with a ruling?
0: Absolutely. And I think you talk about you know. You know, tech workers are relatively well paid, which gives them a, a bit of a cushion. To, but it gives you the idea. If you are if you are a you know, entrepreneur and a homeowner, you can you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. If you are a just a worker and a renter, you are so precarious. And we need to make sure we have a democracy that allows everybody to be able to speak
1: up. And what's really perverse about this, the precarity. Of people's situation in the Valley, of renters, of the working class, the poor, even the middle class now, let's be honest. Yeah. The precarity of their situation is a direct result of the policies Chair Wong continues to espouse and promote. Oh, absolutely. That he has put them, he and people like him, have put the working classes of Silicon Valley on the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. With decades of bad policy, and now having put them in this deeply precarious situation where they are this vulnerable, now he's using the very precarity of their situation to squelch dissent. That is – it's outrageous. Outrageous is not even close to a strong enough word. And let's
0: not – I mean – and I would say from my personal opinion, let's not pretend that this is not how – The essentially feudal nature of of the kind of landed classes around here is you have a class of people who are lording it over everyone else. And part of it is the fact that they can go and speak to your manager and get everyone else done. There is the rabble and there's the people who are the real citizens. Right.
1: And there's this idea that unless you've lived here for 20 years and you own property. Yeah. That you are not a real citizen. Your voice does not count as much. You're just a guest. You're just a transient.
0: Yeah. And someone was even saying this, like, "Oh, look at this Richard guy! He lived in Southern California. I lived
1: in River. (laughs) He he lived in Riverside, and he moved up here eight years ago.
0: How dare you, sir? How dare?
1: How dare? How dare I move to a new place for a better opportunity? I'm sorry. Is this? uh, And there's how you know. I thought that was like what America was supposed to be about. And there's
0: multiple levels of weird. Of weird. uh, Like what? What? Is the idea of, of uh, how people should be able to migrate? Because you get some people who are like, I am for protecting uh, you know migrants internationally, but I hate transplants. You know, yeah. Get the tra- and these are people who actually say this just outright It's weird. You have people like Ray Wong who says I support the migrants who do it legally from Taiwan, like my family, but those illegal immigrants they're actually the problem. Which is
1: so you have explicit <laughs> right wingers like Ray Wong, yeah, but then you've also got uh, what you might call the the progressive NIMBYs, or the pseudo progressive NIMBYs, who are like, oh, you know, they've got the nice sign on their front door saying "refugees welcome, we support immigrants' rights," yada. Yeah. But if they ac- actually try to live there, there will be no place for them. Yeah, it's they'll they'll welcome refugees who arrive by private jet, yeah. and like. <laughs> And you could say that they could say, oh, if we did create
0: the perfect system to create extremely affordable housing and and we just need more of it, but they are doing absolutely nothing to actually make such a subsidized affordable program happen. And no. in fact, you know, in fact, we'll put no political energy into no. changing the system right. of essentially privatized, uh, you know, houses with a completely negligible amount of subsidized units as it is now. And this is this is fine to them. The system is more or less working, and they will express outrage if you build more market-rate housing, but they will do nothing to do anything except pro- protest market-rate housing.
1: Right, yeah. And I mean, let's be clear, if you own property in the Bay, the housing crisis has been great for you. Yeah. And, you know, that is not to say that property owners are evil or some horrible, awful people... Because I know a lot of people who own their own homes who are very active in the pro-housing community, but the fact is that housing prices, that the cost of a home grew 30 percent from 2017 to 2018. Things have tailed off a bit since then. Yeah. And that value is almost totally untaxed thanks to Prop 13. Uh, Financially, the housing shortage is all upside to property owners and the... The upside is the greatest for those who bought the longest ago.
0: Yeah, and, and there's really, really, of course, lovely people who are homeowners, but I think they are they, they are going they're against their material interests, and it's always harder if your own desperation can propel you. You're going to be more motivated than someone who is actually fighting <laughs> free money, you know, just because they believe it's the right thing to do. And I really, I congratulate everybody who actually does it because it's the right thing, but it's hard when you actually have incentives the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And- so they're going to be speaking about this, but you're going to be out of town.
1: Right. So uh, Chair Wong has continued to sort of uh, go, off, go off on Twitter, or, or on Nextdoor, excuse me. Okay. Uh, he's blocked me on Twitter, which also, incidentally, courts have ruled is unconstitutional. Yeah, he's... But- <laughs> In, in
0: general, is that because you are also elected, or just in general, is any person in a public capacity... Any, per,
1: uh, I, Well, neither of us is elected, right? Oh, yeah, you're appointed, appointed sorry. Um, but there have been court rulings saying that if you're using uh, a social media account in your capacity as a public official, you cannot block people.
0: He's blocked me just for calling his Twitter account, you know, nonsense.
1: Um, Clearly. <laughs> uh, So... Anyway, he's continued to double down. Uh, now, if you were to apply that same standard to the attackers, Mr. Melingget, that also then he's also speaking for his employer. The extreme Yimbies are hypocritical in their views. They keep harassing those who don't agree with them. You know, don't be intimidated by their harassment and Saul Lewinsky tactics. Uh, you say Lewinsky? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Saul Lewinsky. I don't know a Saul Lewinsky. Um, well, you know what that's referring yes, to. Yes, right? I did. Yeah, okay. Alinsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, but and then uh, further, in
0: because that's like if you're talking right wing stuff, it, Dinesh D'Souza has made Alinsky like the big boogeyman of the right wing. It's, <laughs> it's,
1: well, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so and then he tries to walk all of this back, despite making very clear that he wants people, you know, talking to my employer and to Yimby's employers to get us fired or reprimanded or silenced. Uh, that's the disconnect. I only suggested that we contact Richard's employer. The reason to connect with the employer is that he has an opportunity to have them contribute to a housing trust or other mitigation program. Say it was just a big misunderstanding. A big misunderstanding, <laughs> you know. And he only mentions this after he gets reamed in the Mercury News for it. He just um, wanted
0: to talk to your employer about getting a nice birthday cake, you know. It's just, right? He was just so thoughtful.
1: So you know. So the the Mercury News editorial was like. Uh, saying he's tried to walk this back yeah right was their exact quote yeah right and that's i got to agree with that
0: yeah i I, i'm curious i mean i would say i i would i'm i don't want to chill speech i would love to talk to ray wong on the show him himself although i'll say elected officials who speak in bad faith i've learned do not make very good guests
1: appointed officials either
0: uh, yes, that too. That too. Uh, but uh, I mean, I think someone uh, like I had uh, Michael Goldman at Sunnyvale and I can say myself, I think that he truly believes his housing housing theories. And I think he actually was an interesting guest. I think people who are bad faith NIMBYs are just boring. So I don't know. But
1: I, yeah, you know, Goldman and I, it's remarkable. Like we actually agree on quite a bit outside of the realm of housing. Yeah. Uh, but on housing, he holds to some very peculiar theories, but, but he holds to them sincerely. Yes, he believes I, them to be true in his heart.
0: I want to find as many true believers out there, even if I am one hundred percent opposed to them. I want to just—if someone is just a bad faith, you know, bully in the mm-hmm. like—I—I I, I have, I have no appetite for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you know, on top of you know the chilling effect stuff, you know what. For him to now publicly lie about it, that's unethical. Yeah. But remember what I said. The first thing the Cupertino City Council did this year was uh, was was they the repealed their code of ethics. Yeah, the first thing they did was they re- repealed the code of ethics that applied to city officials and to the city council.
0: The system works.
1: The system works. You know, the system. The system works fine. Uh, so I guess
0: we'll find out how this how this all will go in the right. meantime. So, uh, so, so what's 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 the date one more time of this thing?
1: Oh yeah. So that's the the next thing. There is uh, the agenda has not been confirmed yet, has not been posted. So we're not sure that this is actually the case. But Cupertino City Council has called a special meeting on July eighth at five thirty p.m. and the th- I suspect strongly that's to deal with the uh issue of chair wong's comments mm. and the exposure that the that it has put the city at risk so not at, at the point of this recording and not set the agenda yet uh not that i've seen but because of the brown act it will be up it will be up at least 72 hours prior gotcha um so i am going to be in ireland for a work trip naturally um so i'm not going to be able to be there in person I think but, he was
0: trying to help you out by getting you fired, so you'd be able to be around for the uh, for the July eighth thing. <laughs>
1: um, it's just, it's something else. It's yeah. really the the whole experience has been surreal, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I've got to, you know, it's it. I'm I'm sorry. This behavior is just unacceptable from a public official, for a public official. To threaten freedom of speech, he he has to resign, and if he won't resign, he needs to be removed. Mm. And it is in the Cupertino City Council's court now whether to do that. Of course, he donated $500 apiece to uh, Vice Mayor Chow and Council Member Willie in their ele- successful election campaigns last year, and over $5,000 to the failed uh, attempt by Better Cupertino in 2016 to... Uh, rezone Valco at the ballot box. So we'll see if they're willing to actually consider the implications of what it is that he's done.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) big picture. Uh, This is kind of, I feel naturally what you get when you have a body politics like Cupertino, which serves its its homeowner, you know, kind of Normative class of mm-hmm. the ruling power, and you might get rid of a bad egg here and there. I am skeptical <laughs> whether you'll get very much happening until you really defang a city like Cupertino through more uh, more powerful means, or align the incentives of how a city has to change uh, through things like Prop 13 repeal. But,
1: on some level, yeah. But I want to say this: like it is a very it would be very dangerous for the precedent that a public official can threaten a private citizen's job yeah for criticizing for criticizing him to stand and while you're right this may not produce structural deep structural change in <sighs> Cupertino it's still important it is vitally important and it is it absolutely this cannot be allowed to stand and it's a very salut it, it will be a very salutary lesson for the Cupertino's uh, elected and appointed officials to understand that no, you act, There are there are rules. There are lines that you do not cross. Well, well, well. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait for the next chapter update of, of, of how this
0: all plays uh, oh, yes. out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, yeah. Well, we'll have the, I hope to be back to talk more about uh, Sunnyvale in the in the future. Uh, but for right now, that's another
1: page out of Cupertino. Always, always fun stuff. <laughs> Alright, well thank you very much for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: So, so until next time, we will see you, man. So that was Richard Mellinger talking all about the episodes with Ray Wong at the Cupertino Planning Commission. This episode of the Henry George program and all previous episodes can be found at the website, seethecat.org. This is a presentation of
1: KZSU, Stanford.